Well, hello there and welcome back. I'm super excited that you are here today. And this episode is jam-packed full of golden nuggets to add to your parenting toolkit. So you might just want to get out a pen and paper or maybe re-listen to the episode because seriously, Anna Seawald is brilliant. Okay. During this episode, we talk about creating a calm home and improving communication with your kids. We go deep into what happens in the brain when we yell and why it doesn't work, how to be less reactive and more responsive, her brilliant four-step calm formula that's also really super simple to implement, how to improve communication with your kids and what radical self-care is and why it's imperative that we practice it. Now, Anna Seewald is a parent educator, keynote speaker, author, and host of the Authentic Parenting Podcast. With a background in psychology and education, having worked with children for 18 years, today she helps conscious moms and dads to become calm and connected to themselves and their children through trauma-informed education. She believes in helping children by helping parents. She has a private practice that specializes in parent education, where she provides one-on-one parent coaching, court-ordered, and co-parenting classes as well. So like I said, it's full of gold nuggets. You're going to love this episode. And Anna shows us how, that it is possible to create a calm home and improve communication with your kids. Enjoy the episode and let me know what you thought. Maybe tag me in a social media post, hashtag vision driven mom, tag Anna as well. I know that she would love to hear what your takeaways are. Okay. Without further ado, enjoy it. This is the vision driven mom podcast. And I'm your host, Tracy Nolan Bierman for moms by moms who believe that anything is possible, even in the midst of motherhood. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories from moms that have journeyed through motherhood from fear, loss, and heartbreak to healing, empowerment, and success. Motherhood is truly the journey of a lifetime, so let's enjoy the ride together. And welcome, Anna. It is so great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Yes, I'm really excited to dig into to, uh, your story and your methods. We are almost a year into the pandemic at this point, at, at the, the time of this recording. And in the Vision Driven Mom community, we are all asking for help with parenting. So can you tell us a little bit about your story, about how you got to be, how authentic parenting began? Well, there's the long version and the short version, uh, <laughs> and I'll give you the abbreviated version and the okay. shorter version, because I want to cover more useful information today than just be stuck on my story, Right. even though that's a lot interesting for people to hear people's stories, right? So basically, I started my private practice about 10, 12 years ago. I named it Authentic Parenting. There was no podcast at the time. It started from a very innocent, simple thing that I created in my neighborhood. When I first became a mom, I was lonely, isolated, and didn't know what I was doing, even though I had background in education and psychology and a lot of work experience with children. But as a new mom, you don't know anything. So, right. But I felt alone as a foreigner in the United States. And I decided to create a mommy group because I wanted to find like-minded people to belong and for my daughter to have playmates later. And mm -hmm. so I created a mommy group and 
an amazing, wonderful group of women and it was much needed and everybody grew and we became friends until today, this day. And they encouraged me to start a business based on what I knew and what I was talking about and how I was parenting. They said so much, you should start a business. At the time that sounded ridiculous, parenting as a business. But then of course the demand was enough so that I created a support group for eight weeks. And from there on, it just took a life of its own and private coaching, speaking. And and then I one day created the podcast just to provide reliable resource for parents. Mm -hmm. And today I work with parents worldwide. I have my private practice, specialize in parent education. I'm also a divorce mediator. I work with high conflict couples, custody battles. I teach parenting, co-parenting classes. And I do the podcast. I, I speak at early childhood education conferences and pretty much this is my life. It started from a very simple thing, but I guess it meant to grow. <laughs> yeah. And I love that because what you said in the beginning is we are communal beings, right? We are supposed to be in community, but yet when we become moms, a lot of times we are separated from our families. We are not, and we're not growing up with our, um, we're, we're not having children with our mothers and our aunts and our grandmothers in this supportive community. So we really have to create it for ourselves. So I love the way that, that your story begins and also that you're not the only one, like this is, it's a common theme. It's a common thread of, just that feeling of isolation when we're communal beings, it just, it seems it's very contradictory. So yeah, that's great. Well, let's, let's dig into your, to the work that you do. And one of the things that, that really attracted me to your work, there are lots of, there's lots of, there are lots of parenting opportunities and resources, but what I love about, about the work that you do is that you're reaching the children through the parent. And that's really what I believe too. I believe that our, that little eyes, ears, and hearts are always watching and they're learning how to navigate life by watching us. So we are teaching whether we want to be or not. You know, I feel like sometimes it's almost like osmosis that they just get it from us. We don't have to say a thing and they just, they're feeling us. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? One of the things that you, that you mentioned is yelling at our kids. How do we do that? How do we stop? How do we stop yelling at our kids? And I would imagine that a lot of the yelling comes from, it's just kind of, we bring it back. We we bring it forward from our childhood. Yes. The connection, the way we grew up, our background, our upbringing definitely plays a huge role in my approach, right? Making sense of your story, healing your traumas and wounds, Mm. at least being aware of them, knowing who you are, where you come from, and then learning new ways of coping and developing new skills. If let's say communication skills, a lot of us lack and becoming the best parent that you can be. And everybody can start fresh anew every day, depending where you are on your parenting journey. It's never too late. Right. And the yelling part. Yes. Again, we have grown up in different families. Sometimes people yell because that's all they know. But what I believe is yes, yelling becomes a habit, but it's connected to 
uh, to the stress level that people experience. Right. No well-rested, well-adjusted, well-nurtured and nourished parent is going to yell. No parent gets up and says in the morning, you know what, I'm going to screw up my kids today or for the rest of their life. Right. If a person is not well-resourced internally and from outside, then you're going to yell, then you're going to feel less, then you're going to reach to those extreme methods that are not going to leave you feeling good afterwards. So yelling becomes a habit. But I said, as I said, it's related to our stress level, to the traumas that we have experienced, right? And I know that we can manage the day-to-day stress, the overwhelm, we can cut down a lot and practice what I call radical self-care. And it's not just getting many petty once in a right. blue moon yes. or getting once in a blue moon coffee. This is radical. This is entire shifting how you think about yourself, about your life and taking care of yourself in growing inner resources mm-hmm. like mindfulness, compassion, self-compassion, gratitude, dealing with your loss, forgiveness, all of those inner resources so that you can be a well-nourished, well-resourced parent. And yelling, we can never get rid of yelling completely. It's a biological wiring that we all have, right? In a society, when something happens, you raise your voice, you yell to caution someone, to stop something. And the human brain interprets yelling completely differently than speaking. For example, right now you're listening to me speak. The sound enters through your ear, travels through different pathways in your brain, goes to the sound center, auditory center in your brain, wherever that is, and it gets interpreted. You understand the message, the nuances, you hear a female voice, somewhat pleasant, she has an accent, and you understand what I'm saying. But if I were to yell or scream, it won't travel through the same pathway to your Mm -hmm. auditory center. The yelling goes through your ear and it hits immediately the amygdala. It's a shortcut. Right. Amygdala, the fear center, so that you are hyper alert. You are aware what's happening in your environment because you need to be something dangerous is coming your way. The yelling signals you to stop and pay attention or else something bad can happen. So unfortunately, when we yell at our kids, it triggers their fear center. So Mm. we put them inadvertently into the stress mode, fight, flight, freeze. And they are unable to hear our message in that moment because they, the prefrontal cortex that is responsible for thinking, logic, reasoning goes offline because the body says stress, danger, threat, protect yourself. So you can't think in those moments. Now the child is in that uh, amygdala hijack and the mother or the father who yelled same way right they're in the red right. zone and so it becomes a vicious cycle and it's ineffective it doesn't work parents feel badly after yelling at their kids and so when you take care of your stress level day to day take a look at your life where is my stress coming from i mean during this pandemic it's even more overwhelming, right? We are running schools and preschools from our kitchens. Everything is just 
um, mixed and the roles and people are juggling so many things. So especially now that there was a study, I can't remember, I quoted in my article that I believe it was like 58 or 68% of parents are reporting that they're yelling at their kids during the pandemic mm, more right. than before. And it's understandable be yeah. because we're all under this gigantic stress anxiety, uncertainty. People are facing with losses, job loss, deaths in their families. They can't go see their relatives. I mean, there's so much going on for a poor parent who is also trying to remain calm and help their kids to do well in school. Right. And it's just a big, gigantic mess. And so I just want to say to the listener, if they've been going through this pandemic and they've been yelling more frequently or using parenting methods or things that they regret, be gentle on yourself. Oh. These are extraordinary times. Do not let this pandemic experience color your entire parenting and poke holes in your confidence that you're not a good parent, that you're not a good enough parent. This will pass and I hope soon so that people can reorient and remember how amazing they are. Yeah. No matter how much they messed up, you can always repair and the damage is not going to be irreparable. Right, right. I love, I love that for one thing, Ani, you give permission that, you know, that it's okay. It happens. It's natural. And that especially during what we're in right now, and that's staggering, 68%, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. And yeah, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of uncertainty still after all of these, almost a year, we're almost a year in at the, the point of this recording. It, it's just, a, it's a, it definitely, and we heard this over and over again, but unprecedented times. And But I do like to think of it as, you know, we know that it's going to be over. It's going to be different. We're going to have uh, things that are going to be different. We want them to be different, right? We, we couldn't keep going in the, where, the way that we were going before. I kind of liken it to uh, childbirth, right? You, it's really difficult, but you know it's going to end. <laughs> but when you're going through it, man, you do want to yell, right? You do want to scream. It hurts, but it's going to be over. But I love that you give permission. I love that you give permission and also that distinction between the speaking and how that process is through the, that's huge. And so that we can give ourselves permission and it's okay if we yell, if we react, it's okay, it's going to happen. But also with that, we do have choice, but knowing that when we are yelling, we're going right to that the amygdala, like you talked about, or to that fight or flight, that, that the natural instinct that we all have for, you know, staying alive, to, for keeping us alive. But I love that you made that distinction. So yelling doesn't, and the yell, louder that we yell doesn't mean that we, we're actually doing the opposite. It sounds like what then what, what our intention is. Yes, I think... And it's a signal to ourselves to stop, to pause, take a breather, do something that is going to nourish you in the moment. That's the self-care piece, right? right? So right. when you see increased yelling or you're about to yell or you've been yelling nonstop, what's going on? What do you need? Maybe you need some care. 
And you right. do need some care because you need to calm your nervous system down. Your system is hijacked. So you're yelling. Everything to you appears like a threat and a danger, even though there is no real danger. It's just your kids are having a, a wrestling match or two siblings are fighting. But those ordinary things appear huge when you are highly stressed. Even the smallest things become triggering. So that should be a signal for the parent to say, you know what, I'm going to treat myself kindly and I'm going to take a break. And what I recommend parents to do is to create something, what I call an emotional emergency plan. So yeah, you- I love that. Yes, that's exactly. I don't call it that, but I do the same thing. I, I have so, a... Yeah. So like ahead of time, when you are not yelling or when you're not triggered, Mm -hmm. you sit down because everybody has their own preferred ways of relaxing, chilling, right? Calming down. Whatever works for me may not work for you. I can tell what works for me. So ahead of time, because our life is so predictable, right? In many ways, our triggers are the same. The situations are the same. If you have children who fight all the time, it's predictable. So if you think about and reflect back on your experiences, take a piece of paper, write down on the left side, the situations, the predictable things that happen. And ahead of time, think about, what you could do if X were to happen in the future, which Mm, is going to happen tomorrow or in 30 minutes, right? Some situations occur all the time. And so that could be when X happens, I stretch, I go take a break, I drink a cup of water, I call a friend, I go for a 15 minute walk, whatever those small interventions are for that particular person, doable, that they know that they can do, let's say if you've never meditated, and you think it's a great idea, don't put that there, because it's not going to work for (laughs) you. That's not going to (laughs) help. It'll add more stress. Yes. (laughs) So you have to think about what worked in the past, what are your patterns? What have you done in the past that has helped you? For me, for example, it depending on the emergency, I can go for a walk, I can listen to music, I can call a friend. These are my top three, right? right? Or I can journal if I'm feeling really sad or depressed. If I'm feeling angry, I go for a walk. I need to move my body. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling agitated, frustrated, I need to speak with someone to discuss, to vent. So for me, it's different. So for everyone, it's different. Right. So, but creating this ahead of time. And when the emergency hits you, you can even print that because in that moment, your brain doesn't think clearly, right? You can say, what can I do now? What was my you know, plan? And you go and do that for yourself. You'll be proactive and well-resourced and take care of yourself. Right. I love that. What did you call it again? The emergency? Emotional emergency. Plan. Emotional. I love that. And that's something that I, that I encourage my clients to do as well is mm-hmm. the deciding ahead of time. Because we're, when you're in that space, like you talked about, when you're in that fight or flight space, you're not thinking, your brain is not thinking. So, and when I know for myself, when I'm in that space, 
I, there's, I, I can't think of anything that brings me joy, right? So I have to, I, I, I keep my list. I call it the, my good juju supplement, but I keep that. I, I have it written in my journal. So it's, I know exactly where it is. My husband knows to help me with, with, well, what about a walk? Just like gentle, not shoving the thing in my face, but just little reminders too. But what you're talking about is that noticing, it takes a lot of self-awareness, It takes a lot of self-awareness to notice those feelings and to be able to, even if we do react and then we regret it, we can always go and make a repair, right? We can always go and and talk to our child or our our spouse or our friend or whoever that that we yelled at, but it takes awareness, self-awareness to actually stop yourself before you do that and really knowing, okay, what are my triggers, like you said, and I love that part because that's not something that 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 we do in the good juju supplement. But I love that you give specific examples. When I feel this way, I can do this. I love that. That's really it's brilliant. I think it's a a, a great idea for everyone to do when they're feeling good. Yes, and you can even make put it on your phone. Like a lot of people have their phones handy. Mm-hmm. That can be your screensaver, your wallpaper, so that ahead of you, you can memorize it. I don't need that. All right? right. I practice this. So I know. But if you need it, you can take a look at your phone and take certain action just to change. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the way you think, Anna. <laughs> the way you think. So can you tell us about you have a four step calm formula? What does that look like? Yes. The four step calm formula I created because there was a demand, right? I was teaching how to stop yelling at your kids or yelling less, let's say, because the goal is never to stop yelling because if you aim for that, it's not going to help. So yelling less should be the aim and, and you can notice your progress and feel good about yourself. So the Four step. The C stands for compassion. Mm-hmm. The A stands for arousal assessment. L stands for language, and M stands for mindfulness. And okay. I will go um, into detail into each step, but I want to preface that this is not a fixed formula. It's not do you do step one, you do step two, then you right. do three. I made it into a four-step formula because it helps people to grasp the concept. Right, right. And sometimes you may use only the C, the compassion element, mm-hmm. and, and take care of your emotional triggers or when you're hijacked in the moment. Sometimes you can just use the mantra, the L component, the language, and sometimes all of it. And it's a fluid process. You don't have to do compassion first, then A first, then L first. You can, you can change the position of the letters, but right. it makes sense to remember as calm. And what I recommend parents to do is if they like the idea, maybe start with the first step practice for a while, just a compassion piece. Mm -hmm. And the calm formula is handy when you're triggered in the moment. You don't do this ahead of time. You do this in the moment. Two siblings are fighting. You're about to enter into the room, into the scene. You need to do the calm formula in order not to yell, in order to solve the situation more mindfully and reasonably. Or something else is happening. Your child is being defiant. There's lots of situations in everyone's household. Right. So this is 
in the moment sort of help to calm yourself so that you're not reactive in the moment. And it may tame you a little bit. You may not completely be like Zen calm in the moment. And that is not the goal because if you're highly triggered going from point 10 to point four is still a huge gain, right? Right. So the compassion piece is in that moment when you see that you're being triggered, something is happening that is emotional storm in your household or in yourself, you're getting triggered, your fight, flight, or freeze response is being activated. Again, that's that piece about self-awareness is key because everybody knows when they feel like that, right? Your body temperature changes. You just want to kill someone, throw something, yell at someone. So that's the urge to act. That emotional storm is in you. In that moment, you want to pause for a moment, put your right hand on your heart, if Mm. this calls for you and say to yourself something of, let's say I can use my own example. It's okay, Anna, this is a difficult moment, but Mm. you're going to be okay. Two siblings are fighting. You can describe what you see in the moment. It's just my teen being very difficult right now. And I know I'm going to be all right. So offer yourself a little compassion. You could put your right hand on your heart. You can give yourself a hug. You can press on your arms just that you have a sense of body, a container. You can hold your cheeks in your hands. Something loving and compassionate. The touch element is huge because it, it comforts you. Or you can touch your forearm, back and forth, rub It takes a couple of seconds, but just that switch has to happen in your mind. After the self-compassion element, then you assess your arousal level and the situation. Let's say on a scale of one to five, how aroused am I? Mm, Okay. Because you don't, we tend to either overreact or underreact, right? In a lot of situations mostly we overreact when it comes to parenting things. Yes. (laughs) So if the situation on a scale of one to five is three, don't be overreactive. There's no need to scream and yell and act as if it's five. It's not an emergency. So when you assess the arousal that you're going through, your body temperature, the tension in your throat, the nut in your stomach, you pay attention to the body sensations in this step. But when you engage your mind to assess your arousal level on a scale of one to five, oh, I'm two and a half. So it's not so bad. You say that to yourself. It's comforting. You're Mm -hmm. engaging your prefrontal cortex. And when you do that, you're coming out of your emotional brain into your thinking brain. So now you're two steps ahead of the game. You are a lot calmer at this point. You can also assess the situation in the environment. Let's say two siblings are fighting. Is this life and death? Like is this on a scale of one to five? It's a common occurrence. It's two. So calm down. You also assess that. And the third step is the language, the L, which I encourage people to do ahead of time. I use my go-to is this is not an emergency or I am helping my child. Oh, nice. That is beautiful. I, I love that. It's not, a, so it, it's kind of taking it off of yourself. It's not about you. It's about helping. Oh, I love that. 
because it is not about me, right? right. In, in reality, I need to be prepared and regulated, even though it feels like I am under attack because something outside of my control is happening in my home. My kid is not listening. Siblings are fighting. My child is throwing something. So it feels personal. But if you switch that and you're the grown up, you're the mature one, and mm-hmm. you're regulating yourself so that you can be present for your child. Right. The L has to be cultivated ahead of time. Like that little saying, that little mantra, you can adopt mine and use it. I'm helping my child. My clients use it. It helps them a lot. Some people, everybody can say something, whatever works for them, or this is not an emergency. Oof, this is not an emergency. Eat that to yourself in your mind. So compassion, arousal assessment, language piece, and now mindfulness piece. Mm. The mindfulness piece is engage your senses in the moment. Feel the heaviness of your body on the ground. The ground is pulling you. Smell three smells in the environment. Can you detect in the environment three sounds that are right there present? Can you see something rectangular, three objects? Can you see something yellow, three things in your environment? Again, depending what kind of a person you are, I'm an auditory person. For me, it's a lot easier to pay attention to sounds. Mm, Uh, Some person might be more visual. So you need to practice that, right? Mm -hmm. Because the mindfulness piece, when you engage your senses, you come into the present moment. Yeah. And all the steps are geared towards bringing us into the present moment, coming out of the reactivity into the more regulated state of mind so that we can be more reasonable and say, what's going on, guys? I see you are arguing instead of, what are you doing? Right. And, <laughs> right. You know, that's, exactly. That's a big difference. So <clears throat> there you have it, the calm formula. As I said, it's very fluid. You may do it all at once in your mind. You may engage your senses right away. Yeah. You may just say your mantra and bring you de- into the present moment. Whatever works for each person, but I think it's worth paying attention to each step and practicing being in your body, assessing the arousal. For example, for one week, maybe practice assessing your arousal level and your children's, uh, whatever is happening in the environment. Pay attention to that and take notes in your journal. Most of the time, it's not an emergency. It's rarely a life and death situation. So why are you overreacting? Right? Right, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that method. I really love the putting your hand on your heart or putting your hand on your body. That is because when, and I know that I'm not alone, but when I'm feeling that that, that anger or the frustration or the overwhelm or whatever it is, I tend to feel like I'm not of my body. I feel like I'm not grounded. I'm not of this earth in an interesting way, but I love that. And I'm, I've been doing yoga for almost 30 years. I love to embody a concept. Mm-hmm. I love the touching. I love, especially the heart. It's a very loving, compassionate gesture mm-hmm. to yourself. And it's grounding as well. It's keeping you, it's keeping you in your body mm-hmm. and in your present moment. I, I, I really love this method, the calm method. It's yeah. beautiful. And they all have the body component, right? The M, right. the mindfulness, you're engaging your senses. Again, the L, you're engaging your brain. 
But the A, you're assessing your bodily sensations, your right. arousal level, the compassion piece is again, your body. So it all has to do with calming your nervous system down, yeah. which yeah. is your body, basically paying attention, being with it and comforting yourself so that you can be of help to a child who is completely dysregulated in right. the moment too. Yeah. Two, two, two amygdalas <laughs> going at each other that doesn't really end well. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and this how is, do we know this? I don't know. From theory, we never faced it, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so and you mentioned improving your communication with kids. Now, how do we do that? Because I feel like a stack of when I first had my kids, I had a stack of what to do with babies, what to do with toddlers, early childhood books. And then there were a bunch of years where I didn't have any parenting books on my night table. And here I am with tweens. And now I've got a stack of, of parenting books on my night table. And so how do we always need communication with our kids? But but what is your what's your go-to? What do you suggest? Oh, this is a tough one. What do I suggest? First of all, I've written a small book, uh, a booklet called 15 Keys to Effective Communication, mm. Building Strong Parent-Child Relationship. That's available uh, like on Amazon, on my website, and it has podcast episode suggestions. Each oh, key, great. there is 15 keys, and I have an um, accompanying podcast episode that covers that particular topic in depth. So that's number one. Number two, I think communication is one of my favorite topics. Since I work with high conflict couples, people who go through divorce, I do co-parenting sessions. No one wants to be there. They hate each other. They fight, right. they argue, they leave the room, they throw things at each other in my office. So oh, nice. <laughs> and then this is, this is a passion of mine because I am challenged by it as a person and a professional, and I want to always improve and get better. Right. Uh, so there's something that I talk about is the three C's of communication that might be helpful in the mm -hmm. moment. The first C being clear. When you communicate with clarity, then things get a lot better. You the likelihood is you won't get misunderstood. So we'll talk about clarity. Right. The second piece is concise. And the third C is compassion. Mm, Again, yeah. in communication, there's two parties, the communicator and the receiver. And it's the communicator's responsibility to communicate in a way that the other party understands you, receives your message in an intended way, right? And in parent-child relationships, I think connection is important too. When you don't have solid, good connection, you're going to be faced with a lot of defiance and uncooperative behaviors. So let's throw the fourth C, connection, when it comes to parent-child relationships. Mm. So the connection, I view it two ways. There is the general state of your relationship with your kid, right? Generally speaking, every parent can answer this themselves. Are you feeling connected to your kid? How is the state of your relationship? And sometimes there are days, there are times when you feel like, oh, boy, I haven't connected to my kid. I've been like busy doing and managing things, and I haven't really checked in with my kid. That's okay. You right. can reconnect. So that's the general state of your relationship. So 
take the temperature of the general state of your connection. If it's on a colder side, you need to do a lot of spending time, paying attention, loving gestures, and just connecting with your kid. Mm -hmm. And this is true to any relationship, right? right? And there is the moment to moment connection, right? Where your general state of your connection is good with your kiddos, but the moment to moment you face defiance, they're not listening to you on a daily basis. And that requires a bit of maybe changing the communication style because connection and cooperation are correlated. So when you get a lot of uncooperative behavior, defiance, not listening, it's either the general state of your relationship, not on a good level, or day-to-day connection, you're being too controlling, too bossy, too managerial. You're not giving your kids autonomy and you're not spending time with them. So there is the day-to-day connection and there is the general connection. But when you speak with clarity and concisely, not like lengthy lecture style and with compassion, right? That changes the dynamic of the conversation. And when you speak, then you need to check in with your kids to get sort of feedback. Did they get what you said? You may go into the room and just barge in and just say a ton of stuff. It never lands. Were you connected in that moment to your kid? When you entered, they were playing a game. You entered, you said your monologue and you left Mm. and then they didn't comply. Now you're yelling and screaming at them because the thing you said earlier which never landed in the first place. Now it's a power struggle. Right. So the first step is to make sure that you're connected. Like right now we're connected. You're nodding. We're in sync. We're in harmony. Whatever I say lands and you ask questions, right? Right, right. So the connection has to be there in the moment to moment communication. Then clarity and concise. Whatever you're saying, is it clear to the Mm -hmm. kid? Right. Is it concise and is it compassionate in the moment? Yeah. Or it's just do this, do that demands. If it's too many demands, they're going to tune you out. Right. If they're not connected in the moment, it never lands. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love how you say that it's not landing. If you, and I know I'm guilty of this at times when I just, when I have something on my mind and maybe something that needed to get done or whatever, and I walk in and I, and I say my piece (laughs) and then I think, well, why didn't they do, why didn't they do what I said? And then it, but I like to take a step back and, and think, okay, if somebody walked in into my office and said, blah, 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 my husband, for instance, and said, blah, 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 and then demanded an answer. I'm probably, for one thing, I'm probably not going to do it the first time he asks me because I'm focused on something else. So it makes complete sense, that connection before we make demands or requests or or whatever it might be. Yeah, that clarity. I'm big on clarity and be, being super clear. And if we can, I was just talking to um, my husband and I do, do we regularly meet with a marriage therapist and it's really for maintenance. We, we yeah. kind of use him as our, we call it the, the Gottman state of the union. Yeah. Yeah. And we do. And it's it's, most people go when it's too late already. Well, we did that. (laughs) We did that. We did that years ago. And and then we decided that it would be, we we just, we'd like having our therapist with us, but we were just having this conversation about, about being compassionate, right. With each other and talking about when there is something and when there's something bothering one of us and we want to talk 
asking the other person, telling the other, being clear about what you want when you're sharing. Do you want, I would love for you to just listen, or I would love for you to just help me figure out a problem or something. Just that, and and I'm thinking that translates with your kids as well, whatever it is, being very clear rather than the the rambling that we tend to do when we're in our heads, the rambling. And then did they even get any of that? Or we're listing five things that they need to do when they're like, we just disrupted them out of their focus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that moment, you can also ask like a guiding question. What is my intention in this moment? Mm. Am I connecting or controlling? That's like a very orienting question for me when I'm about to enter into my kid's room and blurt out, like you said, a list of five demands and they better be done now my way. Right. (laughs) Then that's not, I'm not aiming for connection here. So I need to change that immediately. So are you aiming for connection or control in the moment? So pause for a moment before you speak. And in terms of compassion, again, I love this word compassion a lot because in my work, when I work with the couples, the best thing that I can do that I consider victory in my work is when I can elicit compassion in one partner towards the other Mm, and vice versa. Once you develop a sense of compassion, then things shift and melt and you open your heart and you connect. When there is no compassion, you blame, you shame, you point fingers, you just victimize or play the victim. And it's not a healthy dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Compassion helps you see that the other person is also human mm-hmm. and they have needs. They right. may not have the best of the skills of communicating those needs. And that's one thing we can learn to do in our relationships, right? With our kids or with our partners. But I think trying to see what's underneath this tone, what's underneath the complaint, what's underneath this clinginess, there's usually an unmet need. And once you connect to the need, then you become more human and less judgy and more accepting. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I feel like I could just talk to you and listen to you for hours. I I really, I'm really resonating with what, with all that you shared today. Can you tell us about a time in motherhood when you either overcame something or achieved something that you thought was impossible at the time? I will go back to a period when my daughter was five. She's about 13 now. When she was five years old, there was this this thing, situation where she was making a bracelet. And I remember this vividly. And it was this rainbow loom. Rainbow mm-hmm. was very popular at the time. It was a hard, complicated pattern. And she spent like hours making it. And when she was ready to pull off the loom, it broke. Her hard work broke, right? Right. And she started crying. And it was this big event. And I remember being able to sit with the discomfort and not controlling, fixing, changing Mm. things. But by being present, listening, offering this emotional safety and space for her just to express her feelings. And for me just to be there and witness and not feel that I need to rescue or help or fix the thing to make her happy. Right. I knew in that moment that this is significant and this is emotional resilience for whatever reason. I think that's the example that comes to mind. Yeah. I'm not sure if I overcame, but I was able to accomplish in the moment. Right. And I, uh, that is 
huge because we really the holding space for another human being especially our especially our child because i think we are innately we want to go and fix and keep them safe and keep them but we're when we do that over and over again and continue to do that we're not serving them at all because they need to be able to sit with their own emotions being able to sit and hold space and and not get into the story or feed it or try to make it. I, I love that. I love that story. It's beautiful. Beautiful. But that's not how I am all the time. So I just want to put it out there <laughs> right. just not to misrepresent anything. I get it. You know what? That's what I would call a win. I love to celebrate wins. So I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Look, I did that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, Anna, so how can, so first of all, your authentic parenting podcast that, that is amazing. And you share so many just amazing tips and tools and practices and, and you have guests as well. So definitely go and listen to Anna's podcast, Authentic Parenting Podcast. How else can our listeners um, get a hold of you or find you? Well, they can always go to my website, which is authenticparenting.com. Everything mm-hmm. is on my website. I am not as active on social media since last year. I decided to remove myself and right. hopefully to leave a year, as I said, off of social media. So it's been four months, I guess, at this moment. I, I used to be active on Instagram and the people can still connect and I don't know when I will be on, but I have an Instagram and I'm on Facebook. We have a support group, but that's about it. I'm pretty not very active on social platforms. I get I, it. I do the podcast. <laughs> I think that's enough. Yes, know. definitely. Definitely. And you have a, you were talking about the, the, the 15, I will, I'll get that link from, mm-hmm. for the 15, you said the 15, I can't remember what you call 15, it. 15 keys to effective communication. Keys to effective communication. Yeah. I will definitely, I'll definitely share that in the show notes as well. And all of your contact information and Anna, it has been amazing. I've loved our time together. And like I said, I just, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, but this is what we have. So I'm very grateful. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. The time flew by. Honestly, it did. You, you're very attuned and present. So it makes a big difference. So you don't have your agenda or set of questions. And so there is definitely a flow and I would be happy to come back or to connect on a different project and we can always talk without the podcast. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. That sounds great, Anna. It was really lovely to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And just remember that anything is possible, even in the midst of motherhood. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom podcast. Now, if you haven't already, go ahead and download the High Vibe Toolkit. It's a mom's guide for taking yoga off the mat and into your life. You'll learn how to create your own unique toolkit full of tools for raising your vibe quickly and getting yourself out of a funk in record time next time you find yourself in one. Because funk happens, right? You'll learn how to tap into your inner mentor to cultivate more joy, more connection, and more harmony in your life as you return to your natural high vibe self. You'll raise the vibe in your home as you reclaim your own inner vibe. Now, this is the only guide designed to help moms who want to feel alive keep their yoga vibe flowing both on and off the mat, no matter what comes next. So download the High Vibe Toolkit at www.highvibetoolkit.com and reclaim your inner vibe. Anything is possible, even in the midst of motherhood. Goodbye for now.